We are concluding this morning a uh, sermon series, Did Jesus Really Say That?, trying to come to grips with the powerful but sometimes countercultural message uh, that Jesus has for us, particularly in sections of the Sermon on the Mount. And I've been grateful for your participation, uh, for your feedback and response. I had a lot of response to the last Sunday sermon, and uh, and, and it's been good to dialogue and to really struggle and wrestle with all of these important truths. And this morning I'm going to conclude this series by uh, sharing what Jesus had to say about violence and revenge beginning in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 38 and following. And in just a moment I'm going to read that. Before I do, I invite us to a time of prayer uh, that we might bow and be in God's presence for silence, for meditation, and just to... Uh, to listen. Our loving God, how rich it has been to worship through music and prayers and the word of testimony. And how thankful we are for your love that never fails, your all-inclusive love, your arms of love that always reach, always encircle us. And you've taught us in your word that love is patient and kind, that love does not keep track of wrongs. So we pray that we will love as you love, because we know that that's the best way to love you, is to love others as you love. We ask for strength in our failures, forgiveness of sins when we stumble and step outside your will. We ask that you will bless our lives, bless our fellowship, bless our service together, bless the ministries of this church, all of our mission partners, and for our community and all of the special needs. We pray for those grieving today and for those struggling with loss, for those dealing with job loss and uh, job pressures and family struggles. We pray that you would touch bodies that are broken and diseased and minister healing in your powerful way. And today, God, we pause to thank you for those who work in the medical field, first responders, police, all the law enforcement, and for those who serve our country and the armed forces defending our freedoms. We thank you and we pray your blessings upon them and their families. And we pray that there might be peace within our nation and peace in our world. God, open our hearts to your truth this morning. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. This is our prayer in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. I'm going to read, uh, as I indicated, beginning in verse 38 of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, and I invite you to stand if you're able. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. May God bless this word to our hearts and understanding. You may be seated. I want to begin this morning with a quote uh, from uh, Abba Anthony, one of the desert fathers from the third century of the Christian era, uh, who lived as a hermit, sort of a, as a recluse, and did a lot of meditation and some writing. Uh, he said, a time is coming when men will go mad, and by mad he does not mean angry, he means the classic sense of going insane. Time is coming when men and women will go insane, and when they see someone who is not insane, they will attack him saying, you're insane, you're not like us. Now just think about that and reflect on that for a moment. What was Abba Anthony saying? He was saying, there's going to come a time when the abnormal will become so normal that the abnormal seems normal and the normal seems abnormal. Don't ask me to say that twice. He was saying that what Jesus came to do was not so much flip things upside down, but to put them right side up the way they were supposed to be in the first place. He was saying that there's coming a time when the world will be so messed up that if you're not messed up, the world's going to look at you and say, you're crazy because you're not messed up like us. And there's never a subject, a topic that, that shows the gospel more out of step with current culture than the topic of violence and revenge. That topic distills down powerfully how different the Jesus way is from the world's way. And I was reflecting on that, uh, this as I, in the, in the weeks preceding this sermon, about the way I grew up uh, with, with narratives of getting even being the dominant narrative I grew up with. Cartoons, TV westerns, you got to get the bad guy, you got to get even, you got to get the one who did you wrong, you have to fix things and you have to get vengeance. I mean, you think about it even today, every movie, every novel, every story, it's about getting even and how, how we just feel so juicy, delicious, good when that, that evil person gets his or her comeuppance. In fact, if the story doesn't end that way, we go away feeling disappointed. Well, I didn't like the way that ended because, you know, the wrong person got away. We're really into that. It's so wired into our culture that we don't even realize how deeply embedded vengeance, violence are part of our lives. And we don't need to pretend that it's a new issue because it was, 
it was front and center in Jesus' life and ministry. You remember that when Jesus was on earth in Palestine, Palestine was occupied by a, foreman, form, a, a, a powerful force, a, a foreign enemy that was cruel. Rome ruled Palestine by keeping Palestine down. And it ruled all of the regions of, of the known world in just that way. And there were all kinds of different movements afoot in Jesus' day. In fact, in Jesus' band of disciples, he had at least one zealot. And the zealots were sworn to the violent overthrow of the oppressive Roman regime. Whatever it takes to overthrow Rome, killing, violence, revenge, it has to be done. Now, in that same band of disciples, Jesus had at least one tax collector who collected revenue for the oppressive, invading Roman government. Don't you imagine that made for some lively campfire discussions during Jesus' lifetime? And in that kind of world, Jesus speaks these words. He quotes the Old Testament. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. By the way, that Old Testament law was not so much about revenge, but limiting, limiting the punishment that would happen. Only an eye for an eye, only a tooth for a tooth, so that, so that judgment would not be excessive. Jesus said, you've heard that said, but I say to you, somebody strikes you on the right cheek, and most people being right-handed, that would have been a backhand which would have been the ultimate insult. Somebody strikes you on the right cheek, just offer them your other cheek. Break the cycle of violence. If somebody wants to take your uh, inner garment and, and uh, that'd be your shirt, offer them your coat too. And can you imagine somebody running around with no shirt, running around naked? which was shameless in Jewish culture, which would expose the oppression and the cruelty of the oppressor, which would be the worst thing you could do to that oppressor to make that person look so vile in public. Jesus said, if a Roman soldier tells you to carry his pack for a mile, which was legally allowed, it was the thing that could be done, go ahead and say to the soldier, would you like for me to carry it a second mile? Not only will it just blow that soldier away, but think of the conversation that will happen on that second mile. Why are you doing this? Jesus was basically saying, get creative. Find ways other than revenge. Break the cycle of violence. Be creative. Take the initiative. Take the power away from your enemy and your oppressor. Drain that enemy or oppressor of the power to humiliate you. Take away his or her power to, to dominate you by being creative and finding creative ways to break the cycle. Have you ever heard the statement, the best way to get rid of an enemy is to make her a friend? Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. How many of us pray for our enemies? 
How many of us pray for those who are giving us a bad time? You see, I've tried this occasionally, and it works. When you pray for someone who's oppressing you, who's hurting you, something happens in your heart. You begin to see that person the way God sees that person. You begin to see that person and love that person the way God loves that person, and that may be why we don't pray for them, because it's too delicious to hang on to our grudge. We enjoy the power, so-called, over that person if we can stay angry or hate-filled. And we're really not ready to give up that little energy burst that comes from hating or holding that grudge. But something happens to us when we give it up. We start to see and love the way God sees and loves. When Nelson Mandela had been imprisoned wrongfully for 27 years on Robben Island in South Africa, 27 years, the prime of his life, locked up due to the oppressive apartheid regime, he was finally released. And somebody asked him one time if on the day he walked out of prison, if he didn't just feel hatred rising up within him toward his jailers and toward his oppressors. You know what Mandela said? He said, yes, when I first walked out of jail, there was, out of prison, there was this welling up of hate. But he said, I made a decision. They had had me for 27 years. If I continued to hate, they would still have me. He said, I chose instead to be free. I chose to be free. You think about what an evangelistic opportunity it is. We talk about sharing our faith. If you want to share your faith, just blow somebody away through forgiveness and the unwillingness to exact revenge or violence. Jesus talked about the evangelistic opportunity. He said, you know, it's a dime a dozen. Everybody is nice to people who are nice back to them. If you love those who love you, verse 46, what reward is that? Even tax collectors do that. If you greet only people who greet you, that's nothing. Anybody can do that. Jesus said, the distinctive difference of following me, Jesus said, only shows up when we break those cycles of violence and revenge, when we show people what it's like to follow God and to love God's way. Jesus said, that is that unique evangelistic opportunity. That's when people are watching us to see how we handle hurt and to see how we handle injustice. You remember several years ago when uh, the, uh, the man Charles Carl Roberts IV opened fire on the Amish girls and killed the Amish children? And then he turned uh, the weapon on himself, took his own life. It made the national news, and what made the national news also was the fact that the Amish clan, the Amish group, directly impacted by those horrible murders, started writing sympathy notes to the killer's parents because he had died also. 
they started writing notes of forgiveness to Robert's parents. There were only 75 people at his funeral. Half of them were Amish. We can talk about bearing witness to our faith all we want, but our best witness opportunity is when we have that that chance, that opening to show Jesus' love in a brand new way. In fact, that's, I think, what Jesus is getting at in verse 48. Verse 48 troubles a lot of people. I get asked a lot about verse 48. Jesus says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And uh, people say, well, I can't be perfect. I'm a sinner. The Bible says we've all sinned. How does that square? Well, it's a little confusing, and I wish the translators of the later translations would change that word because the Greek word is teleos, from which we use in our English language the word telescope, to be fully extended. The word perfect actually means to be complete, to be whole, to be fully mature, to be everything that God created us to be. And what Jesus is saying is we cannot be everything God created us to be until we learn to forgive and let go of revenge and violence. We cannot be mature until we allow Jesus to love through us in that way. We really have a choice. We can try to live life by the scales or we can try to live life by the cross. We think we want to live life by the scales. You know, you do that to me, I'm going to do that back to you until we finally figure out that nobody ever wins. And we finally figure out how God deals with us. God deals with us through the cross. Doesn't give us scales, gives us the cross. Doesn't give us what we deserve, gives us what we need forgives us. And when Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't keeping score. He wasn't setting up a set of scales about his innocence and our guilt. He took it all on himself. And when he took it all on himself, we were seeing once and for all if evil will triumph. But in the resurrection of Jesus, we saw and continue to see that evil does not have the last word that God's way of love is the way that wins, and that through his suffering and death, Jesus actually conquers. I'm going to tell you something. If I live to be 150, I will never get tired of talking about God's love. His wide embrace that takes in everyone, his forgiveness That takes in everyone. God welcomes everybody. God forgives everybody. And we welcome everybody and we forgive everybody because that's the way God is. Be perfect as I am perfect, as God is perfect, Jesus said. Be whole, be mature. Love that way. Love that way. Most of you have, uh, many of you have heard of Bill Hybels. He pastors the Willow Creek Church in the Chicago area. Some of you have become acquainted with him through the uh, Global Leadership Summit, some of, through his writings. 
Most people know about Bill Hybels, not as many people know about his wife, Lynn. Lynn is an activist for justice and peace and reconciliation in the world. She's done unbelievable work in the Middle East in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. She's done incredible work in Africa, in, in regions of conflict where there's tribal violence. Uh, and she is a, a prolific writer and worker, and she gets on the ground level to teach Christ's way of reconciliation. She was writing an article some time back. She wrote in an article about how impractical the Sermon on the Mount is. She was writing about how impractical the way of Jesus is. And I want to show you a quote. I want to show you what she said. She said, I'm devoting myself to peacemaking. Wherever I go in the world, I want to be quick to listen to differing perspectives and slow to pick sides. I want to avoid simplistic answers. I want to raise funds for refugees and other victims of violence. And I want to protest the escalating costs of war. If I were a pragmatist, I might not bother to do this. But I'm a follower of Jesus. This is not practical. This is not easy. This does not come naturally. But we are followers of Jesus. We are followers of Jesus. We are called to walk the Jesus way. To walk the Jesus way. Jesus won't ask us, was it practical? Did it make sense? Was it easy? He'll ask us if we obeyed. He'll ask us if we followed. Let's pray together.